Let me tell you a little secret. They can fly. Moms are superheroes. Secret superheroes. And no one even knows about it. Powerful. Come back here, I want to you. New liquid soft gels from Nature Made. The newest way to fuel your greatness. Welcome to a new earth, awakening to your life's purpose, a worldwide web event. A new earth is sponsored in part by Nature Made Liquid Soft Gel Vitamins, the newest way to fuel your greatness. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to class number five in our webcast series about Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. We're at the halfway mark, and uh, I'd like to thank all of you who are committed to this work and make time every week to share this space with us and to give this to yourself. As of today, we've hit nearly 11 million streams and downloads of this series. That's really uplifting. So together, I believe that we are beginning to create powerful changes in our lives as individuals and then putting that out into the world. Before we get started, I wanted to share something with all of you. Our friend, uh, uh, Elizabeth Lesser of the Omega Institute sent me a poem um, that I'd like to share with everybody. Uh, she sent it to me this week because I, several weeks ago, was talking about being under my trees and sensing the trees. And so she emailed me this poem and said, here's a poem to be with your trees. It's called Lost by David Wagner and uh, will be on our website for you to get later. So listen to this, Eckhart. It says, stand still, the trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Don't you love that? Oh, beautiful. Yes. So that's my poem to lead us into silence. Would you like to lead us into silence? Yes. Eckhart has a cold this week, everybody. I told him he's sounding very sexy, though. <laughs> <laughs> so when we go into silence, another way of putting it is to say we go into the present moment uh, more deeply. As, so let's approach it from that angle today and say, let's take our attention right now into this present moment, no matter what it contains mm -hmm. on the surface, what, no matter what you're perceiving or what you're feeling, you bring your full acceptance to this moment as it is, no matter what form it takes. And that aligns you with now and takes you into stillness. So that's all we right, do right now. And so we'll still just for a little while sensing 
what the present moment is, beyond the forms of the present moment, sensing what the essence of the present moment is, because the essence of the present moment is life itself. Mm. So it's sensing that life that is the essence of now, which is more than what you see in the now and what you touch in the now. It's deeper than that. You can only sense it. The, the, the external senses cannot perceive it. Mm -hmm. So let's do this now mm -hmm. and just be present. with the present moment. All right. I'm actually finding it easier. The first time we did this, I was like, oh, boy, we're going to be quiet for 10 seconds. <laughs> now I think we're going like 40, 50 seconds. Yes. Yeah. And another strange thing is when you actually enter the present moment, you, yes. it's, it's a holy place no matter where you are. No and this connects are. with the poem you read. Yes. If you bring your attention to it fully, every place you are is holy. And so there's a sacredness to life that you become aware of. But you take your attention into the present moment. What I'm finding too, um, reading this book and then working with you every week, is that everything starts to be sacred. I mean, everything starts to be. You can find the sacred in the most ordinary of things. Yes. And that there, there is, there is a, there's a calmness and a stillness to almost everything if you can get quiet enough yourself to feel it. Yes. Yeah, that's what's happening to me. Yes. As so many other people are experiencing whatever you're experiencing, how this, this, the reading of this book, the awakening for you is taking on whatever form it does in your life. That's, that's what I'm seeing for myself. Yes. Yeah. But there's, everything's magical. Yes. yes. You never have to be bored, ever. No, no. That's, and, and the need for artificial stimulus goals when people continuously need to, whenever they get home, they need to switch something on to yeah. some kind of, um, entertainment you can still enjoy entertainment but you're not dependent anymore on that to fill you up yeah. well tonight we're discussing chapter five so glad we're in the pain box. <laughs> so I wanted to just start with uh, my idea of an overview of this chapter um, you say that in this chapter that the human mind seems to be hooked on on my me and my story, constant mind chatter that keeps negative emotions alive and personalizes everything. You say the beginning of this chapter on page 129, I'm on everybody, that the greatest part of most people's thinking is involuntary, automatic, and repetitive. It's no more than a kind of mental static and fulfills no real purpose. Strictly speaking, you don't think. Uh, thinking happens to you. The statement, I think, implies volition, you say. It implies that you have a say in the matter, that there's a voice involved on your part. But uh, really, you say, I think it's just as false a statement as I digest or I circulate my blood. Digestion happens, circulation happens, thinking happens. Yes. 
Yeah. So it's becoming aware that thinking happens to you all the time. The key is becoming aware of it. It's happening to everybody. Until the awareness occurs, then you are identified with that voice in the head, with its repetitive thought patterns. And that uh, is most people, what most people are trapped in, and it makes up their superficial personality with all their, the continuous repetitive judgments and, and likes and dislikes and prejudices and so on, whatever makes up the content of their egoic mind. So people are trapped in that and derive their sense of self from that, which is ultimately insubstantial, conditioned by the past, not who they are. Absolutely. And you say also in Chapter 5, The Pain Body, you show how this addiction to being these thoughts in our head, this addiction to these thoughts in our head, to this negativity, is at the root of humanity's problems. On page 137, you write, we are a species that has lost its way. Yes, and we are lost, I could say also, we are a species lost, we are lost in thought. We've lost ourselves in the mind. Mm. So looking for some kind of identity in the movement of thinking without ever really finding it. So most important step in any police awakening is to realize that there is a voice in the head that, that doesn't stop speaking. When you realize, oh, this, and then you begin to realize what kinds of things the voice is saying, repetitive judgments and so on, negative thoughts about yourself, about other people, about situations you're in, especially all these repetitive negative thoughts that many people are trapped with, you become aware of that. Yes, and you aware, then you become aware that it's really just the story that you've told yourself yes. about yourself. Yes. And that's all it is. Yes. All right, that it has no power. Yes. Yes. And the, the past has no power over No you. power. The, the power comes in with your awareness that there is a voice. Yes. Because the awareness is not part of it, and that is part of being becoming present. Yes. One of my favorite quotes of this, this chapter is, Nothing, on page 141, nothing ever happened in the past that can prevent you from being present now. And if the past cannot prevent you from being present now, what power does it have? Yes, yes. Because many people are so attached to the past that they carry a burden, like, like carrying a, a huge sack on your back, a burden that, that around, you're identified with that. And they believe that they're unable to be present because the past prevents them from being present. But it can't do that. You can step out of the stream of thinking, take your attention into the present, and immediately the past no longer has that power over you. Because nothing ever happened in the past that can prevent you from being present. Yes. Now. Yes. You say um, that, that the core of all of this is the pain body. On page 141 we read, that any negative emotion that is not fully faced and seen for what it is in the moment it arises does not completely dissolve. The energy field of old but still very much alive emotion that lives in almost every human being is the pain body. And chapter five introduces us to the pain body. Amazing. You know, when I read this, um, I thought about, uh, my childhood. Now, I've shared my childhood with lots of people, and as a child, I was um, 
raised by my grandmother for the first six years, and my grandmother used to whip me often, like I used to get beatings on a regular basis. And it was really a part of our culture, and I know many of you were raised this way too, that not only would you get beaten for almost, you know, for doing nothing, for you broke a glass or you, you know, spoke out of turn or whatever, um, the adults deemed was, was inappropriate for you in that moment. But I would get beaten, and then I was never allowed to have any emotion about it. I remember feeling many times my grandmother would, would, would whip me with switches. She would braid the switches together and I'd get a whipping. And then in the middle of whipping me, she'd say, stop your crying, stop your crying. And I'd get whipped until I would stop crying. And then afterwards she would say, you better wipe that pout off of your face. You better put a smile on your face. So you'd have to now act as though the beating that you just had didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And when I read this, that any negative emotion that is not fully faced and seen for what it is in the moment it arises does not completely dissolve, it leaves behind a remnant of pain, I realized that that pain of not being able to express the emotion, of just being able to be angry. I mean, now I see kids today when their parents say something and they don't like it, the kids can say, I don't like you, or that upset me, or, you know, God forbid, I hate you. <laughs> which, you know, in my culture was never allowed. You had to suppress that, whatever you're feeling. If you're beaten, wipe that pout off of your face, wipe your tears, stop crying right now. And so that would be a huge pain body that I would end up carrying, yes. especially as a child, because you yes. say children, yes. especially, yes. carry it. So did you find then that as you grew up that there was a lot of unexpressed negative emotion in you? Um, I didn't, it wasn't unexpressed, it was um, repressed ability to, it, it's what caused me to have the disease to please for so long, mm -hmm. a desire to please every, everybody because the ability to say in the moment, this upsets me or this really bothers me or what you're doing I don't like was not something I, I felt I could do yeah. for the longest time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the, the, all these negative remnants of negative emotions, they become, they accumulate in the body. Mm -hmm. and I then... ate mine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then together they form what I call, because now we need to realize that any emotion that you have is a form of energy that's right. acceptable, I think, to most people. Right. Just as every thought you have is a form of energy. Right. Every thought is energy, so there's nothing spooky about that. So when we say, when I say that the, the pain body can be considered almost an entity in its own right that lives in you, some people find that's a little spooky, but all that I'm trying to say is here that it's an energy form. Entity is another word for it. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, an energy form lives in you that you may not be aware of all the time because some of the time it is dormant mm -hmm. and it's only active for a certain percentage of time. So first realization is that there is something in me that seeks unhappiness, that seeks unpleasant experiences, that seeks more negativity. Mm -hmm. 
because it feeds on those things. Those things, negative thoughts, will feed the pain body. This is one of the uh, favorite ways uh -huh. pain body to feed is on yeah, uh, your own thinking. Uh -huh. So this is very important for people to realize, to observe within themselves that periodically in many people, an addiction to negativity arises. And if you can be, recognize that as it arises, then you're no longer totally at the mercy of it. Right, because the awareness dissipates it. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. And so, uh, back to this point though, whenever there is negativity in your life that you never fully dealt with, that negativity, the energy of that negativity has to go someplace. And you're saying where it goes is inside us. Yes. And uh, for me, everybody knows I've struggled with my weight for years. For me, that's the form that, that it takes. For a lot of other people, it makes them, you know, outwardly, you know, angry or negative toward other people. Yes. Um, but it has to take some form. For some people, it makes them sick, makes them ill. Yes. Uh-huh. And a very frequent manifestation of it, perhaps the most frequent manifestation of the pain body is in uh, intimate relationships. Mm -hmm where periodically partners have to go through their drama. They have to reenact drama every few weeks. Mm -hmm. so in some cases, every few days, they go through intense emotional negativity. And usually the pain body awakens first in one, in either the man or the woman first. Mm -hmm. And when the pain body awakens, it wants some kind of reaction, negative emotional it's reaction, seeking that from the other because person. it feeds on it. Mm -hmm. So many people have realized when I've spoken about it, they realize, oh yes, this is happening in our relationship, mm -hmm. that periodically the need, the pain body arises and it then will attempt to push the partner's buttons, as they're called in some form of psychotherapy. They say mm -hmm. pushing the person's buttons means the pain body knows exactly what buttons to push in your partner, buttons that will certainly uh, bring a negative reaction. Now, is the pain body ultimately this feeling of not being good enough? Is the pain body there because of a feeling of not being worthy, of not knowing its sense of presence or consciousness? Is that why it's well, the pain we could, body? It's the emotional aspect of the ego. Yes. So really pain body is part of the ego and it's a very unhappy entity. Mm -hmm. But because its very uh, existence consists of this unhappy vibration, it does not want an end to its unhappiness because an end to its unhappiness is the end to the, to the pain body. Got it. Got it. Linda is Skyping us from her den. Hello. Uh, hi. Hi. How are you, Is Oprah? that a yellow How den you, you have there? Yellow? Yes. Yes, it's gorgeous. In Silver Spring, Maryland, she has a question about the pain body and her sister. I do. And thank you, Oprah, so much for this. I, I first encountered your book, Mr. Choley, in 2005 and have read it at least four times. And so when Oprah picked it, I was so excited. Um, uh, you write on page 148 that the pain bodies love intimate relationships. Right. and families, because that is where they get most of their food. And that really resonated for me. I had a huge aha moment 
because I have a sister who has always interacted with everyone in the family in a very dramatic way. And I, I always considered her to be a drama queen who would rather have a problem than solve a problem. Um, but after reading this uh, chapter, it helped me so much understand more about her and what was going on and why she was interacting with us the way that she is. My question is, now that I've seen that, of course, I wanted to call her and um, have her read the book, And but you've already talked about how sometimes that's not necessarily the best way to approach right, right. people. Right. But how, what is the way? How can I really reconnect the family? She has separated from our family. She's separated from her children from us. And we have no relationship at all. And it's really um, tragic. And I want to do something to help bring us back together and don't know what to do. Mm. So at the moment, you have no contact with her at all? She has totally withdrawn everything. I, I do send her emails um, every month or so just to check in. Sometimes she responds, but very terse and cold. Most times not. Well, the uh, wait sorry. for an, uh, I hope an opportunity will arise for you to get together at some point so you can continue to invite her if there's an event at home or whatever, and then just be open. And But when she does come, uh, it's very important for you to uh, not to buy into her uh, uh, drama. I don't know yeah. whether this happened in the past, whether she used to draw other family members into her drama. That's usually the, the tendency. Yes. So uh, now when you meet her again, then you will realize, of course, you will be in a different state of consciousness because you will see that what she is suffering from is the disease of the pain body. Mm -hmm. And that is not part of who she actually is in truth. So you can be there as a very compassionate presence. Mm -hmm. And when the drama arises again, as it will, because her pain body will be very active again when she meets you or any family member, when uh -huh. it happens again, it is very unlikely that you will be, you will find yourself forced to react to the pain body because you will be present. So you can simply recognize the pain body in her without the need, as that was there in the past, the need to react to it and therefore okay. buy into her drama and feed her drama. And that will be a very strange experience for her, somebody who simply accepts her the way she is and if accusations come at you, whatever she does, you did this or whatever whatever form the drama takes. You sound like you know her. <laughs> I know the pain body. <laughs> <laughs> They're all the same, basically. Mm -hmm. So then you can you can simply accept that she is suffering from this and simply be there as a compassionate presence without reacting. Allow her to be in her pain body. And that that means the, the drama cannot sustain itself for very long mm -hmm. if only one part, one person plays the drama. It needs two. So you're not feeding her pain body anymore. 
and then see what happens. She may be confused. I've experienced that quite a few times when people came up to me with uh, heavy pain bodies. It's a story that you tell in this chapter uh, yes. about the friend, the friend who comes to your house and she has all the papers and she's complaining, oh, yeah. Linda, yes. and she doesn't know what to do and she lays out all the papers and she's complaining, 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 and Eckhart basically says nothing but just listens and is the presence there for her. Yes. And finally she picks up her papers, confused, and just goes home and the next day says, what did you do to me? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, but don't underestimate the pain body's ability to draw out some, to make you unconscious again, to push right. some yeah. kind of button and you will find yourself reacting again because pain bodies are very cunning, yeah. very clever, and they know exactly what, what will make you unconscious and what will make you react. You speak of it like it's a creature that's like an alien yeah. force inside of us. Yeah. I, yes, that's how I see it. Really, <laughs> really. But you see that, Linda, that being, <coughs> that this is, this then becomes your sacred spiritual journey. This is a part of your spiritual journey to not be drawn into the drama. Well, I, it's so interesting you put it that way, Oprah, because that's what I've kind of come to the conclusion yeah. that this is part of my awakening. Yeah. You know, it's my role in my family is to kind of be the one to help her get out of this. Yeah, yes. and not by judging and not by telling yeah. her to, but by being that which you, you know, want, wish to emulate. Yeah, and that's the hard part. Yeah, that's not, hard. Not yes. judging, because I guess that's the part of the pain body that she activates in me. Because yes. your pain body wants to say, who do you think you are? It Exactly. <laughs> yes. I know. Exactly. I've been there. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, the, when, the, when the pain body takes over a person, the, the whole personality becomes transformed. And uh, sometimes people are shocked when they, they marry somebody or they start living with somebody. And this, this lovely man or woman that they, start, that they loved so much, one morning, suddenly, he or she turns into a little monster. And the total energy shift in them, a complete change of energy, like, like it's truly as if they were possessed by a completely different, very negative personality. And that comes as a shock often to people when they start living together. Yeah. And you, again, it doesn't mean that necessarily that you chose the wrong person to live with. It just means for the first time you experienced the pain body that showed person's up. pain body. And also, what, you, what we were talking about in the last chapter, you were playing a role up until then. You yes. were playing the role, I am in love with you. Yes. And often love, you say, <clears throat> is about your own possessiveness. Yes. Yes. And so the roles are easy to play as long as you're not living together, then you can sustain the roles. But when you start living together, uh, very soon the roles cannot be played anymore. And also that's why I was thinking with the pain bodies, what happens on a lot of holidays, Linda, you've seen this in families, Everybody comes together and you have all those pain bodies in a room. Oh, yeah. Clashing. Clashing and oh. reacting to one another and all living in the about the past. Oh, because yes. that's what yes. all the that's what the coming together for families is about. Is Thanksgiving and Christmas Day are the best day for the pain bodies because yeah, <laughs> everywhere and often the families go through the same thing year after year. Really? Thank you, Linda, for bringing that up.
Thank you so much. Thank and you. I will listen to the rest of the class. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for bringing that up Thank for you. us. Yeah, and often, yeah, the reason why all the, you have all these pain bodies clashing Thanksgiving on the major holidays, they come together, and people have a, an image in their mind, the courier and Ives, the painting of what they want the Thanksgiving dinner yes. to be, and instead, it becomes something different because everybody's bringing their past. Yes. And living, living that moment through their past. Yes, yes, that's amazing. So how do we change that this Thanksgiving? <laughs> well, the, uh, be, it just takes one person to be present mm -hmm. and one person not to participate in this. Mm -hmm. So when next event happens, family gathering, whatever it is, then you will see the usual comments will be made. That's right. And the usual reactions will mm -hmm. happen. Can uh, you believe he did? Can yes. You, yeah. Yes. Or you, or you visit your parents, and your parents don't fully approve of you, and mm -hmm. then they say, well, you, you remember 10 years ago, I told you you should have done that. You would yeah. be better off now if you had done that. Right. And again, immediately, if you're not present, pain body will arise, and you become defensive. Anger will arise. <laughs> So and you're in it. You're drawn yeah, into in, the drama. Yes. So it it requires great alertness not to be drawn in. Right. So because the we don't underestimate the pain body's ability to draw in. Sometimes even very present people can still be drawn in. Yes. And you were saying that it happens in intimate situations, in family situations, more often than not, because. I would suppose is because out in the world, everybody's trying to be at least on their best behavior. Yes. A lot of people who are taking this class, you know, are working people who see it in their jobs every day with people. Yes. Yeah, yes. every day. Yes. Uh, I love on page 134 <clears throat> when you say, although the body is very intelligent, it cannot tell the difference between an actual situation and a thought. It reacts to every thought as if it were a reality. It doesn't know it's just a thought. To the body, a worrisome, fearful thought means I'm in danger, and it responds accordingly, even though you may be lying in a warm and comfortable bed at night. The heart beats faster, muscles contract, breathing becomes rapid. Um, there's a buildup of energy, but since the danger is only a mental fiction, the energy has no outlet. The rest of the energy turns toxic, interferes with the harmonious functioning of the body. Yes. So that's what you said weeks ago about worry. Yes. Yeah. Oh, to, to just see in oneself, when worry arises, what we call worry is simply mm -hmm. repetitive negative thought patterns. That's right. And your body doesn't know the difference. And so all of that energy is inside your body, and that's yes. what makes people sick. Yes, yes. So it's very important to clear up your mind mm -hmm. so that you stop the continuous negativity mm -hmm. of the egoic self-talk, as we could call it. Mm -hmm. So recognize it mm -hmm. and then step out of that stream of thinking. Use any device you can. I recommend device number one to step out of the stream of negative thinking, mm -hmm. come into the present moment, take one or two conscious breaths. <sighs> You've stepped out of the stream of thinking. Or Feel the inner body, feel the aliveness in your arms, your hands, your legs. Put your attention there. Right. You have stepped out of the stream of thinking. Or if look at something and bring your full consciousness to the act of perception. For example, a tree or a flower, anything natural is best. Look at anything natural, give it your full attention, 
-hmm. that takes you out of the stream of thinking, or any natural sound, the, a bird, the to wind. bring you back, really. Bring you all, bring, bring you back, you to, back present to present. Moment. These are all little, little ways in which you can step out of the stream of repetitive thinking. In the story on page 137, The Duck with the Human Mind, love that story, <laughs> you talk about how the human mind creates a me and a my story that keeps negative emotions alive, live and personalizes everything and it's ultimately led our entire species to, uh, to, this, uh, to a precipice. So tell us the duck story. Well, I was... What lessons it has for all of us as humans. I was writing The uh, Power of Now and writing about uh, accumulated emotions. And then I was taking a break and went into the park and sat on a bench by a pond. And I saw two ducks approaching on the pond. And suddenly, maybe one duck got, Don duck got close, too close to the other. Suddenly, they started getting into a fight. Yeah. Uh, lasted for about 30 seconds. And then they both separated, swam off in opposite directions. They, they were still agitated, both of them. And then both ducks kind of lifted themselves up on the water and vigorously flapped their wings a few times. They almost stood up on the water and went And then suddenly they were totally peaceful again and swam off. They were doing cleansing breath. Cleansing. Which we did from Russia last week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cleansing they, breath. And I realized at that moment I had been actually been writing about this, and the ducks were showing me how to, how they let go of what otherwise would have become accumulated negativity in the body. Wow. And so their instinctive, natural intelligence takes over. And then I realized they all do it. Yeah, yeah. And all the ducks, after a fight, do that. And immediately that... It's like clearing their wings. Clearing. The energy gets dissipated. Wow. And they are totally peaceful afterwards. And then, of course, they don't have a human mind which repeats the story of what this duck did to me mm -hmm. and what I'm going to do to this duck next time or I'm never going to get close to her any, anymore. <laughs> Whatever the How story is. How dare you come over to my oh, side of the pond oh, yes. again. And then yeah. talk to other ducks about what the other that duck did to you and yes. all the story making, because the story making that still goes on in the human mind keeps the old emotion alive. Yes. So you relive it again. The negativity is relived. The body believes it's still happening. Yes. Because the body believes in what your mind is thinking. Because the, although the body is intelligent, it cannot tell the difference between an actual situation and a thought. Yes. So right. whatever thoughts you're, you're holding, that your body believes that is your reality. And the corresponding wow. emotions will arise. Wow. And the corresponding physical states of contraction will be there. Wow. So this is how that was the duck's lesson, so I, I put it into the book. That's, that's and right. I mean, and we see so many people, I know I have friends who've been through divorce and they live and still, you know, hating their ex-spouse and talking about their ex-spouse and what their ex-spouse did to them and, you know, years after yes. the spouse is gone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that keeps it alive as if it were still happening. As if it were still happening. And there's an addictive and quality. And that's in your mind. It's that's in, in the your mind. mind. And it's addictive. There's right. an addictive quality to that. You need to see it in yourself to see that you, if it's still the case for some of the people who are listening to us. So it's like the monks. Tell the monk story. I like the monk story. The two monks. Yes. And the one monk picks up the girl on the road. Yes, that's the story of two monks on a pilgrimage. And 
They come across in a village, they come across a, a young 17-year-old girl with a long kimono, trying to cross a very muddy road, but she's not daring to step into the mud. So one monk picks her up, carries her across the road through the mud, puts her down. And so the monks walk on in silence for another four or five hours, just practicing noble silence. And then after four or five hours, they're getting close to their destination. One monk says to the monk who had picked up the girl, oh, you know, you shouldn't have done that because we monks are not supposed even to touch women. So you really, you shouldn't have picked up that girl. You're not supposed to do that. And the other monk says, oh, are you still carrying that girl? I put her down hours ago. So the other monk was still carrying the girl, the event, in his head. Four hours and later. And for four hours, he was walking with this burden. Yes, right. <laughs> and that shows the, the, the reluctance of the human mind to let go of the past. Yeah, so how many of us reading this chapter are not carrying things from four hours ago, but carrying things from four years and 40 years ago? Yes. People are still holding on to what yes. was done to them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a dreadful burden. It's mm -hmm. like carrying a, a useless weight around with you. Mm -hmm. And some people carry it from all their lives. Yeah. And they, they even derive some identity from that. Right. Right. I, I had to learn years ago to let go of what had happened to me as a child. Because yes. what I realized, you know, my grandmother, the people who took care of me, did the best they knew how to do at the time. Yes. And if they had known better, they would have done better. Yes, yeah. and that is always the case. Whatever yeah. humans have done to you, yeah. it's always they didn't know any better mm -hmm. because they could only act according to their level of consciousness. At Nobody can act beyond their level of consciousness. So you cannot expect your parents, if you believe they, they did something that was wrong, right. you cannot expect your parents to have acted beyond their level of consciousness. Because that's all they knew. Yes. Jesus on the cross said it all when he says, forgive them for they know not what they do, which means they are unconscious. So you, when you realize that, you, for, you naturally That's forgive. That's what Jesus meant. Yes. If he had lived now, he probably would have said they are unconscious. They don't know. Okay. Well, Roz is on the phone from Sydney, Australia, and has a question about the pain body and grief. Hello, Roz. Hi, Oprah. Hi, Eckhart. Uh, can I start by saying thank you both so much for helping to make my life feel lighter and less stressful. That's amazing. Uh, and for taking the time to answer all our questions. But um, in regard to the pain body, I'd like to clarify, how do we honour the memory of our loved ones who have died and that we shed tears for and not add to our pain body? I, I'm, I'm trying to work out, are we adding to our pain body or is this the type of sorrow from the state of being? Hmm. You mean when you, the, the ability to grieve or not? Yeah, well, the best way I can describe it is I lost my dad six years ago and most of the time I think of him and I have a smile on my face. But sometimes the tears flow for what I think is no apparent reason. Intellectually, I know crying won't bring him back and I can't change the past, but the tears just come. So am I adding to my pain body by doing that? I feel I'm honouring my father's memory, but I'm sad at the time. So is that a negative emotion or is that something deeper down inside that is a natural thing and it's a part of my being? There's a natural 
mourning, of course, that happens when a loved one passes away. It will, with some people, that also can turn into pain body. And for example, that would be the case if there's an excessive or exaggerated amount of uh, sadness or depression. Some people, uh, after a loved one dies, go through years of debilitating depression or they develop even extreme anger. This is also quite frequent that people develop anger when a loved one dies. And those are instances when the pain body becomes activated through the death of a loved one. But that does not seem to be the case with you. So to allow mourning to happen when it happens can actually be a beautiful thing. Uh, your mind, observe what your mind is doing and what kind of thoughts your mind is generating when you go through these periods of sadness or crying. Maybe your mind is not saying much at all. Maybe there's just emotion. And that can be quite beautiful, mm -hmm. simply to allow this emotion of sadness, which is natural, after all, when somebody has passed away or when you remember a loved one, allow this emotion of sadness to be there. And then you may actually find that underneath the sadness, there's still some peace. Mm -hmm. When you allow the emotion of mourning to be there, then you realize that underneath the seemingly negative emotion, there's still a deeper peace. I found that when my parents passed away a year and a half ago, both of them within a few months, the, the sadness came, some uh, tears came periodically, and yet through the acceptance of the emotion, there was an underlying peace that was deeper even than the sadness. And so, and that comes with the acceptance of the emotion. And that's important for you. So you, I don't believe that in your case, this is the pain body, but I would suggest that you observe, or you perhaps you can tell me now, what kind of thoughts your mind produces when you go through these uh, periods of uh, sadness or weeping what does your mind what does your mind say well usually at the end i end up smiling again it's just that i, I wonder whether the tears were a negative thing or no i don't suppose tears are a negative thing but there are just times when i suppose it's that that sense of loss that comes with it which i know is in a way is adding pain to your life but it's something you just you know i don't know how do you explain the, the, the void you feel inside when you lose someone. But admittedly, I'm not getting depressed about it, thank God. Yes. <laughs> but I just wondered whether, you know, logically I was adding pain to my life or whether it, <clears throat> it, it just is something that if, if you can stay detached and observe, you realise it's just part of who you are. I think it is a part of who we are. And, you know, I recently just lost a loved one who happened to be a four-legged animal, my beloved little Sophie I lost. Sophie <gasps> uh, died. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yes, and, oh. you know, you know, unless you have a, an animal who's a member of your family, a lot of people yes. don't understand, but yes. she was a member yes. of yes. my... She was as close to me as anybody has ever been in my life. And I will have to say that uh, I miss her little body, and I miss the... Uh, as I know you do with your loved one, you miss. I miss the physicality of her because she slept with yeah. me every single night, came to work <laughs> with me every single day, has been at every event for the past 13 years. <laughs> um, 
So I miss her physical body, but I actually feel closer to her, to the spirit of her, yes. to the soul of her. I feel that the density of the body has allowed the spirit of her to be with me in a way that I never could really fully appreciate or absorb. Yep. Yes. So I actually feel closer to her. I feel the love that she was in a way that I didn't even feel when she was alive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did you sense that with your parents too? Yes. yes. So that's the piece you're talking about. Yes. And yeah. actually she died on the on the second night of that we were doing this on March the 10th and I went home in the middle of the day. She died early in the morning. I cried you know, all afternoon. I came here and allowed myself to be to accept to accept it, to go to that place where all right, she's gone. Yes. She's gone. I'm, go I'm not going to say, oh, why is she gone? Oh, all right, she's gone. Yes, and that's gone. the acceptance. The acceptance. And, and a peace comes with that. Yes, yeah. because the, the void is the word, because a void is left when the form that was there, the body that was there, right. suddenly the it's no longer. Yeah. And that's the void. Now, the void, when it's resisted, and it is resisted especially by the ego, the ego hates it, the ego doesn't want the void to be there, but when you can accept that now there is the void instead of the body, yes. then something else shines through that void which is formless. Right. So where the form once was, the, formla the formless can now shine through. Absolutely. And that's the beauty, and that's the grace that is hiding behind death or whatever, death of whatever kind. Mm -hmm. So there's always that, you have to look for that. I see that. I see that. Do you see that, Roz? Yeah, that's inspirational. What that natural said, warning makes me yeah. feel better now. And <laughs> what happens is, what happens is, Roz, if we spend our time, I always say when somebody you love dies, you now have an angel you know. You can call the angel formless or consciousness or being or whatever. But what happens is so many people are just caught up in the grief of it and the loss of it and resisting and wanting it yes. to be the way it was. Yes. Trying to hold on to the way it was yes. instead of accepting what is and they don't allow the grace of the formless to come that's through. That's right. Then the grace cannot come through. That's right. I got that. Yeah. I, I hope you oh, got thanks. that too, Roz. Yeah, thank you. That was, that was lovely. I really thank appreciate you. that. Okay, God bless you both. God thank bless you. you. God bless. I love when you say in, in, um, that sometimes understanding the science, uh, for me, sometimes understanding the science behind these concepts as you're talking about makes it easier. And you say on page 146, all things are vibrating energy fields mm -hmm. in ceaseless motion. The chair you sit on, the book you're holding appears solid and motionless only because that's how our senses perceive their vibrational frequency, that is to say, the increased movement of the molecules. And so we're all vibrating at different frequencies. And the vibrational frequency of the pain body resonates with that of negative thoughts. Yes, negative thoughts or, or, and other negative emotions coming from other people. And then I love that you say this on page one, oh, 152. You write on page 152, I think this is great here. If you were not familiar with our contemporary civilization, if you had come here from another age or another planet, one of the things that would amaze you is that millions of people love and pay money to watch humans kill and inflict pain on each other and call it entertainment. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> when I read that, I thought, yeah, if you're from another planet, you think you would think, what is that? Yes. So what is that? That people love that. I mean, the most violent movies, I mean, particularly this year, mm -hmm. um, for Academy Awards, most of the movies were violent movies, mm -hmm. destructive. Yes. You know, all those pain bodies up mm -hmm. there on the screen. And what is it about a lot of the public that that enjoys that? Well, it's the if it's in some cases violence may be actually helpful to see because it shows the human madness. If mm -hmm. it shows the wider context in which violence happens, mm -hmm. if it shows uh, the psychological dysfunction behind violence, mm -hmm. and then it can be helpful. But most of these movies are, contain uh, violence that uh, is actually meant to feed the pain body. And it is the pain body in the viewers who enjoy those films that enjoys the violence. So it's not actually the, the people themselves who pay money to see these movies. It's the pain body in them that feeds on the violence that it watches. Mm. So, and the people who produce these movies, probably- Their pain bodies are writing them. The pain bodies write them. The pain bodies write the movies, the pain bodies produce them, and the pain bodies watch them. <laughs> well, this comes from the screenwriter, uh, Lana, who's in her study in uh, Copenhagen and has a question. Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Hello, Lana. From Copenhagen. Hi, Oprah. Hi, Eckert. Uh, Eckert, I also have a cold, so I hope I sound as sexy as you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes. Um, I like your flowers on the wall. May I say I like your art? Is that your? Did you take those pictures yourself? Oh no! Oh, okay. <laughs> I bought it from somebody. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm a screenwriter. I'm also a producer. And after reading this chapter, it just floored me on so many levels. Um, I write pieces that involve scenes that may have uh, violence. It may have a death. It may have uh, rape, um, but try not to be gratuitous, but after reading this chapter, I wasn't quite sure how to doing? be sure. And one particular uh, experience that I had really kind of put me in a tailspin about how to create content, how to create media projects uh, going forward after reading this book. I had a few friends over for dinner, Danish friends of mine, and I've learned so much from the Danish people. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And at the time, there was in the news, the beginning of this year, uh, a lot of what they call second-generation kids were burning cars here in Denmark. And a friend of mine made the comment to me, well, uh, I don't understand how people can burn their own neighborhoods. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And although I was too young to remember the riots after Martin Luther King died, I remember that comment being spoken by Americans. So here I am in Denmark and kind of hearing the same type of conversation. And I felt like my first response was, I've got to do a documentary on this. And so I started making the phone calls to do whatever I needed to do to talk to traditional Danes and also second-generation Danish people. Uh, but then I read the chapter and I wondered whether or not my pain body as an African-American 
was now entering into uh, this situation and, you know, creating something that may kind of negatively affect the pain body of another group of people. Mm. So I questioned whether or not I wanted to do this documentary. So what is your and question? What is your question my, to us? My question is, uh, in this situation that I've just described, the pain, the pain body that led me to come up with the idea for this documentary, I think it comes from my experience of being an African-American and that uh, I want to bring people together. I want to kind of not allow a situation that's, that's not necessary to just go unchecked. And I feel like media can do that. Uh, a documentary can open up that dialogue. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if my pain body, since it created this idea for a documentary, is this, is this something that will help both sides? Or am I just speaking to pain bodies, to other pain bodies? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't believe necessarily that your pain body came up with the idea of uh, making this documentary about the violence that's happening in Denmark. Uh, and I believe that you, you will probably show the wider context in which this violence happens and the root causes of this violence, not only historical, but perhaps also psychological. And if you, all these things are included in the film, then to show violence can actually fulfill a useful purpose. That's why I mentioned in the, in the book that some of the most powerful anti-war films were war films, they, because those films showed the reality of war, not some glamorized version of war for the pain body to feed on. So if you show the reality and the underlying causes and the wider context, then those, those films are not going to feed the pain body because they will help people become more conscious and perhaps not prematurely judge the people who are carrying out these acts of vandalism or whatever it is to see perhaps what lies behind it. What? Correct. <clears throat> Thank you, Lana. Thank you so much. You. Okay. I think it's interesting, though, on page, uh, Lana's talking about what you talk about on page 159, that as there are individual pain bodies that each of us carries because of whatever negativity <clears throat> happened in our lives and we didn't completely deal with that at the moment, that there is also a collective pain body that nations carry yes. and races carry. And you say the collective racial pain body is pronounced in Jewish people who suffered persecution over many centuries. Not surprisingly, it's strong as well in Native Americans whose numbers were decimated, whose culture all but destroyed by the European settlers, and black Americans too, for whom the collective pain body is pronounced, their ancestors violently uprooted, beaten into submission, and sold into slavery. The foundation of American economic prosperity rested on the labor of four to five million black slaves. In fact, the suffering inflicted on Native and black Americans has not remained confined to those two races, but has become part of the collective American pain body. It is always the case that both victim and perpetrator suffer the consequences of any acts of violence, oppression, or brutality. For what you do to others, you do to yourself. Yeah. I think that there is not an understanding, and actually, um, Senator Obama, in his speech mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. was trying to speak to this. Yes. 
this collective pain body that America holds. And I think a lot of Americans, uh, number one, don't know it exists and want to deny that it does exist yes. because they say, I didn't have anything to do with slavery yes. or I didn't have anything to do with the Native yes. Americans. Yes. Correct? That's right. Yes. And to not to recognize it is what? To, to, is to be in denial of what is the truth. Yes, and then it continues to be there without you knowing it. And, that's right. Uh, so that's... Because the that's recognition very... of it is the beginning of being able to change it, right? Yes, that's right. And I believe, um, since you mentioned uh, Senator Obama, there was this controversy about the pastor who was making certain remarks. I believe that the pastor who has probably helped many, many people over many years, occasionally when he speaks, as far as I can tell, mm -hmm. he gets taken over by the pain body. By the pain body. And then the pain body speaks through him. Mm -hmm. And it's understandable, and I think, believe Obama understands that, although he may not use the term or be familiar with the term pain body, but he understands the wider context for those remarks, and he realizes that arise out of the collective pain. Mm -hmm. So, and once you see that these things arise out of the collective pain, you can see them in a much wider perspective. And you don't personalize what this person is saying. It's not, it's not personal anymore. He's expressing collective pain. You also talk about this when it comes to um, women. Pretty revolutionary. On page 155, you say, the suppression of the feminine principle, especially over the past 2,000 years, has enabled the ego to gain absolute supremacy in the collective human psyche. Although women have egos, of course, the female form is less rigidly encapsulated than the male and has greater openness and sensitivity toward other life forms. If the balance between male and female energies, I found this so fascinating, had not been destroyed on our planet, you say, the ego's growth would have been greatly curtailed. With many people becoming more conscious, the ego is losing its hold on the human mind because the ego was never as deeply rooted in women. It's losing its hold on women more quickly than on men. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's because, you know what? Reading this, as a female, um, living in the world today, able to make choices and be my own person and express myself, I had forgotten about the years and years of torture and suppression and, um, you know, killing of women yes. for the most natural things because you liked animals, because you were a midwife, because you were a woman who wanted to have a voice. Yes. Tortured, killed. Yes. Hundreds of millions of women. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's the, uh, what I'm saying is it's the arising ego. The, and that happened that because of the ego and the male. Yes. Yes. So it's not the male as such, it was the, the growing ego. ego in the male that had to, that saw the feminine principle and the feminine energy as a threat because it could not fully establish itself in that. You believe we would have had a new earth a lot sooner if there had been not the suppression of the female? Yes, probably, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but the shift is happening now and the interesting thing is that there are more women changing, going through the shift in consciousness, mm -hmm. than men. So they, uh, men are going through also, but there are, for example, uh, Elizabeth Lesser mentioned mm -hmm. at her, uh, the Omega Institute, mm -hmm. about 70, 75% of the people who come there for inner work, consciousness mm -hmm. transformation, and so on, are women. 
So women are more open now to the change in consciousness that is happening than men. I'm not saying it's not happening to men also, but yeah, there's a greater openness. Yeah, we have men out there. We love it. <laughs> Audrey in Campbell, California, one of our emails says, I have 20 pounds to lose as a child. My father and brother call me big girl and big fat cow. Could this be? That's not good. Could this be why? Audrey, that's not good at all. Uh, could this be why I have such difficulty losing the weight? I've been hearing these words in my head for years and years, and I can't let the words go. Help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, of course, these words have become lodged in your mind, mm -hmm. and they have taken up residence in your mind, and now you can't get rid of them. So they are, again, thoughts are energy formations, and thoughts that uh, get lodged in your mind, sometimes they start in childhood when parents tell you something negative. For example, some parents tell their children, you are stupid. Mm -hmm. It's a stupid thing to say. Yes, <laughs> but, uh, it's a stupid thing to say <laughs> that your kids are stupid, yeah. And, and if told that repeatedly, this thought becomes lodged in their mind. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, a thought can, if you're not, if you don't bring presence to it now, you won't be able to dislodge it. So the first thing is to realize that what has happened to you is that something that you were told years ago repeatedly is now, has now become a thought that refuses to leave. It's an energy, it's, you're possessed, so to speak, tempor temporarily, hopefully, by a thought. You, uh, some of you may have seen a film called The Number 23 with Jim Carrey mm -hmm. last year, and that's about a man who becomes obsessed with the idea of the number 23, and he sees it suddenly, he sees everywhere significance in the, in the number 23. And that's an example of how one thought can take possession of your entire mind, and then through this one thought that, that takes possession of your entire mind, you interpret the whole universe, the whole of reality. This is how dangerous it can be if you're not careful how one thought can take you over. So realize, the questioner here needs mm -hmm. to realize that this is an old thought and realize it's no more than a thought. It is not the truth. It's an old record that has been playing itself over, over and years. over in your head. It's big fat cow, big fat big, cow, big fat cow. Yes, no more than an old... Tape no more than a tape. A so when it, when you hear it again, when you hear that in your mind, you realize there's the old tape again. That's right. It loses its power because it's no more than that. That's right. There's an old tape for the past, and the past has no power over the present moment. No. All right. I love also when you say that um, <clears throat> thinking is no more than a tiny aspect of the totality of consciousness, the totality of who you are. Yes. I had an awakening moment with that thought because we all think that we are our th up until reading this book i think so many of us i was one of those people thinking that we were our thoughts yes and then to read that thinking not only are we not our thoughts we are the awareness of our thoughts but that thinking is only no more than a tiny aspect of the totality of consciousness the totality of who you are yes and the awareness, of course, compared to thinking, the awareness is vast, it's limitless, and has infinite potential. 
for anything creative to come into your life. Because that's can, where all your creativity comes yes, from. Yes, not through thinking. Thinking right. can become a secondary tool in manifesting something, but but not with the creative insight, the creative realization, the creative idea yeah. does not come through the movement of thinking. Wow. Think about that, everybody, that when you have a creative, an inspi inspiration does not come through your thoughts. No. And it comes through your being. Yes, and so the space of awareness. The space of awareness. Now, to the extent to which you are creative in, in your life depends on how much access you have in yourself to that space of awareness, of presence. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, and it's sometimes enough for brief moments uh, to have ac access to that. And for some people, that's enough to lead a creative life. Right. But of course, we want to be more than that, not just have brief, brief access, but to to make it the very foundation of your life. It's like when Quincy Jones was doing um, the We Are the World tape and he brought together all of those artists and he left the door open. First they had a sign outside the door that said, check your egos at the door. <laughs> and then they left the door open. He said, we wanted to leave room for God to walk in the room. <laughs> have, leave enough space for God to walk into the room. Yes. 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 So your nature is leaving the space. Leaving the space. Leaving the space inside yourself. Yes. Uh, so. Also, if you want change in your life, some people don't know, there will be other chapters when we'll talk about life purpose and so on, but, but the realization of what it is, for example, what it is that you're meant to do in your life also comes from that inner space. Are you able to allow the space within, become still, right. and then whatever it is that you need to know will arise from we'll come there. through that. Yes, we'll and then it, it may come as a thought, but then it'll be an inspired thought. Right. Without the space, without the stillness, without accessing that dimension, thinking cannot be inspired. There is no inspired thinking. The inspiration comes from the, the realm that is deeper than thought. I got that. And you're never going to think your way to a purpose. N no, and, and you're not going to worry your, your way out of a problem. You're not going to worry your way out of a it's problem. It's impossible because worry means to, to manufacture more problems. The same thing. You're just yes. continuing the same thought over and over. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you need a different kind of consciousness. Wasn't it Einstein that said that? Uh, I don't. Kind of yes, I don't remember whether it was Einstein or Jung, but uh, the, he said the uh, a problem cannot be solved on the same level of consciousness that gave rise to the that problem. That created it. Yes. We have an email from Judy in Columbia, South Carolina. Could you talk a bit about alcohol and drug abuse in the pain body? Is this an attempt at escape from the pain body, alcohol and drug abuse? Yes, often it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mentioned that in the book. It's an escape uh, of not wanting to feel the pain anymore. Uh, if the, in, some, in some people, the pain body is active almost all the time. Mm -hmm. And that is a dreadful way to live. And those people in whom the pain body is active almost all the time, often they will seek some kind of escape from it because they can't live with that pain anymore. The pain body loves it, but it makes your life more and more miserable. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but there is also a good chance, and maybe that brings us to the, what connects us to the, what I said in the book, if, if people who have a heavy pain body, mm -hmm. their chance of awakening is also quite great right. because 
when life becomes unbearable because you are creating so much pain continuously for yourself, your desire to awaken, to finally get out of this misery, is much greater than a normal person's desire to awaken. In other words, you could say, um, when you're having a relatively pleasant dream, you don't mind so much dreaming on. Mm -hmm. But when your dream turns into a nightmare, then you really want to awake, awaken from that when you can't stand it. And that was the case with me. I had a very, very heavy pain body that drove me almost cl very close to suicide until I, the realization came, I cannot live with myself any longer. And that, that thought was the breakthrough where the separation happened from the consciousness that I am and the ego and the pain body that I had been identified with as the unhappy little me. Were you really actually going to kill yourself? Uh, did, you, did you have a plan to kill yourself? Yes, I had my first plans to kill myself I already had at the age of nine and ten. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I had worked it all out, but somehow I didn't quite have the courage yet to do it. Because the pain body was so heavy, all, even at all, 9 10. Already then it was quite heavy. Then it subsided a little bit, and then it came back again very strongly in my 20s. Wow. And what was it? What was it that caused you to feel you felt depressed, you felt unworthy, you felt what? It was partly living in uh, almost continuous conflict in the home environment between my parents, who were always fighting. There was very little peace at home. Mm -hmm. I was very sensitive, so it was very hard for me to even be there at home. Mm -hmm. As you say in the book, for children who watch their parents fight, it's almost unbearable. Yes, and, and that, of course, contributes to their, the child's uh, growing pain body. Mm -hmm. So my pain body grew very quickly. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but if, if, I, if this had not been the case, I would never have awakened. Out right. of it, I would have been in a relatively pleasant dream. That's right. If you'd had a nice, happy childhood, you might not be sitting here teaching with us tonight. Certainly not. Mm -hmm. No, no. So, uh, retrospectively, one is grateful for one's suffering, mm -hmm. because eventually suffering will wake you up. You said, uh, when I read earlier on page 141 about any negative emotion that's not fully faced and seen for what it is in the moment it arises does not completely dissolve. It leaves behind a remnant of pain. So when we are faced with negative emotions on a daily basis, we should embrace them. We should go into them rather than resist them. Yes, accept whatever emotion... Accept it. Accept because it's part of accepting the present moment because mm -hmm. if, if a certain... Uh, Negative emotion is part of what's happening in the present moment. What can you do? It's already happening. So take you it. Take it, make sure, oh, there it is. I can feel that anger. I can feel the sadness. I can feel it. That be the space for it. So accept that it is there. Mm -hmm. The acceptance of the present moment, no matter what form it takes, externally or internally, whatever form it takes. Externally, it means whatever situation arises right now, it always is as it is at this moment. You right. might as well say yes to it. Internally, it means whatever emotion arises at this moment, it is as it is. You might as well say yes to it. Well, I know next week we're going to be talking about breaking free of the pain body, but just for now, if every time you can see it show itself and recognize it for what it is, there it is, there's my pain body yes. again, there's his again, that 
the awareness of it begins to dissolve it, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. Let's go to our new Earth Study group uh, watching our webcast. Hey, everybody at Borders on Michigan. How, are you enjoying the class tonight? <laughs> Interesting. All the pain bodies have gathered together <laughs> at Borders. Uh, I hear uh, Courtney has a question. Yes, yes, Hi. I have a question. Hi. Uh, I think a lot. So I, what I'm curious to know is, you know, when I'm not in a relationship, I obsess that I'm going to be alone. And when I'm in a relationship, I obsess about my career or money or anything. And I think a lot of people my age obsess about this, you know, money, career, uh, finding a relationship. What you say in the book, Eckhart, makes sense. But what I guess I'm having trouble is with is taking that and actually putting it, you know, changing my day, my life in, you know, kind of daily, I guess. I love the makes sense, but. What you say makes sense, <laughs> but. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. It, it does make sense, but then I just don't know. I guess I'm. I guess I'm having trouble putting that into my daily life. Yeah, how, how do I not obsess or think about these things all the time and try and stay in the present? Mm -hmm. Well, when you say obsess, of course you're talking about certain thoughts that you that go through your yeah. head over and over right. and over. Uh, yeah. Over so, and over. <laughs> so, are you able sometimes? to, while these thoughts go through your head, to recognize the futility of these thoughts, are you sometimes able to be there as the presence in the background or, or see, for example, just after they happened, for the, let's see, for example, realize for the past 20 minutes I've been obsessing about this or that, I'm having had thoughts about a certain situation that's not here now. And that's part, of course, of the structure of the egoic mind. It loves to do that. Are you sometimes already there as the presence? Or, not, or are you always totally identified with the... No, sometimes I am. And in the hindsight, I can go back and realize what I've done. But it's in the moment when I'm doing this and, I, and my mind just won't stop. You know, it just keeps going and going. And I keep thinking about things that it's hard to stop, I think, and yes. kind of realize what I will realize eventually. Yes. Now, something applies that we talked about the other week uh, when we are talking about worry. Uh, worry is another type of that kind of thinking, what you call yeah. obsessing. Uh, these thoughts, what I, the way I put it two weeks ago, was, was these thoughts pretend to be important and necessary. These thoughts want to draw in all your conscious attention. And it's almost as if every thought were saying, give me your attention. This is very important. You must think about this. Think, mm -hmm. think. Right. So these, the thoughts have the ability, they have a certain momentum behind them. The ment the, this is the momentum of the mind. And so it's not easy to become free of that. But the first freedom is in realizing their futility in the moment they happen, and to realize that it is, they fulfill no useful purpose except to make your life miserable. Yeah, because what has the obsessing gotten you? So what does it do for you? Nothing. Worry, yeah. more worry, yeah. yeah. And it's just kind of a, an idea of how to be, how to just be. And also takes know, energy away from your, your, your being. It takes energy oh, away right. from your being able to be fully present with whatever it is you're doing. Yes. You so, can see that, right? You yes. see that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just at the time sometimes it's not so, yeah. So rather than trying to get rid of those thoughts, because yeah. if you, what you resist persists, 
Right. So if you try to if you try to get rid of those thoughts, that will be hard. But if you see they are futile and they are meaningless and they are no more than part of the structure of the conditioned egoic mind, because if you change your situation, you will obsess about something else. You've experienced right. that already. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a relationship, you have then have some other thing to obsess about. If there's no relationship, you can obsess about the lack of relationship. <laughs> or, uh, yep. <laughs> yep. If you, or if you're making money, you can obsess about perhaps losing it. Perhaps the financial market exactly. will collapse. Right. And, or if you have no money, then you obsess about how to make money. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the f see the futility of all this movement of thought in the moment it happens and realize it actually takes away your power. It, it's like a little parasite, egoic thought patterns are almost like a parasitic uh, entity that lives in you that sucks up all your, your conscious attention. You Once. got that right, Courtney? Oh, yeah. It okay. makes sense now. It's just when I'm going through it, I yeah. can't stop. Well, the thing to no. do is all of this doesn't happening, you know, awakening doesn't happening happen all at once. No. The whole process is you have to catch yourself doing it more and more often. You start yeah. slowly, and more and more often you catch yourself, and pretty soon or later yes. you'll find. Yes. Yeah. Or an, another thing that might be helpful is when when the mind is not overly active just normal moments uh, occasionally choose to take your attention away from thinking we mentioned it earlier right. and bring your attention to the present moment either either use the device of feeling the inner body conscious breath sense perceptions conscious alert sense perceptions so choosing to be present rather than to be thinking. And what, and what that does is it, you begin to train yourself. You begin to train yourself to be present with yourself. That's it's right. It's about present moment training. Training. Or, uh, and right. you grow, and then presence grows in you. Yes, it does. It but does. you have to invite it in. Yeah. yeah. Invite it in when the mind is not totally mad right and then when the mind does become then these periods come when it gets totally mad then it's more likely that there will still be a presence there in the background still can take a breath yes yeah, i'm getting better at it i've actually gotten better I in the past five weeks and you will too courtney thank you thank you <laughs> thanks everybody at borders thank you all okay somebody asked uh earlier there was an email where somebody wanted to know and uh, i didn't get to it uh wanted to know whether or not that pain body um, allows artists and writers and creative people to be more creative, the pain body. There are, especially in modern art and modern writing, there are some artists who express the pain body in their work. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you read their work or when you see their visual art, you can see, wow, mm -hmm. there's a lot of pain in there. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that is how they free themselves to some extent of the pain body because they externalize it and make it into an object. Yeah, you can there. take that suffering and turn it into something yes. else. Yes. Now, whether this will be, whether this is really helpful to many humans, I don't know. To see so much pain on a canvas, right. <laughs> it, I'm sure it was helpful for the artist right. to externalize that. So I believe that the deepest art goes 
deeper than that than just show the pain, the human pain. Right. It goes. It might. It may also include the human pain, but like the great works of literature are not just expressions of human suffering. They also show a dimension that's beyond suffering. Right. Well, another question from Mary in Birmingham, Michigan. Politics in the pain body. She writes: Is it the pain body? that leads us to be fascinated with others' downfall, such as the governor of New York and the mayor of Detroit. I find myself eagerly watching the news to hear more about the scandals. I find myself wondering what I would do if I were in their place, having risen so high, so successful, and fallen so far, fallen so far. That's uh, Mary in Birmingham, Michigan. Is that our pain body that, that loves to hear bad things about other people? The tabloids. Uh, yes, uh, hearing. Even watching the news, things that are true. Scandals. Loving, loving bad news. Yes, uh, loving bad is, news is also of the pain body, and so there are some uh, some uh, publications actually thrive on emotional negativity. They actually right. they sell a negative emotion. Some newspapers do it in their headlines. And, be, and because they have realized the more negative the headlines are, the more papers they sell. Yeah, you were saying the British press... <laughs> they uh, love it. Love they, it, yeah. yes. And we do too now in, in, yeah. in our country. Yeah. Yeah, more yeah. and more tabloid newspapers, tabloid magazines, following the lives of famous people. People love to see famous people fail, yes. fall. Yes. And is that's our pain body? Yes, the, whatever, whenever you see in that negativity, the enjoyment of negativity in whatever form, or the enjoyment of negative events, the enjoyment of negative things happening to people, the enjoyment of your own negative thinking, mm -hmm. all that is, is the pain body. It loves pain. It lives on it. And loves drama. It seeks drama. Drama is part of that pain, yes. 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 That story you told about uh, going into the restaurant. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Going into the restaurant and this guy is all disrupted. Wow. Yes, um, but the, the, it was particularly strange because it happened immediately after I'd had a session with a woman who had a very heavy pain body at home. She came to see me at home and she had carried this pain body for many, many years and uh, it was so heavy that uh, one could almost sense it in the energy field yes. in the room. We've so, all encountered people like that, where it's deep, it's yes, heavy, it's yes, dark. Yes, yeah. so I had been doing work with her and suddenly she became conscious. She, she was able to separate, suddenly for the first time in her life, she was able to separate herself from the pain body and there was an awareness that realized she was carrying this heavy pain body inside. Mm. That was a great liberation for her and she went, she went off and said, oh, wonderful, thank you so much. I've, and that was the beginning of, of a change in her. Mm -hmm. And after this session with the woman, I went off to the rest, restaurant. And I felt that was, I was so happy that the pain body had left her, not left her permanently, but mm -hmm. the awareness had come in. And then in the restaurant, I encountered a man in a wheelchair at a table nearby who had just finished his meal, and then I could feel the negative emotion in him building up, becoming stronger and stronger and stronger, and suddenly he started shouting and screaming. And the, the, I realized, I had a suspicion that 
the pain body, the universal pain body, because every personal pain body is a, an expression of the one human universal pain body, mm -hmm. that the pain body had come back there and to tell me, I'm still here. You thought you got rid of me, but I'm still here. So the pain body got into the person who had the most negativity inside. Because the person with the most negativity would have drawn, drawn it that. in, yes. But did you, at the end of this incident in the book that you write about, and the restaurant owner says, did you do all this? Did you cause this? You see, the restaurant owner must have had some intuition that there was some connection. Between you sitting in the yes. restaurant and, every, and all this disruption. Yeah. And so the answer is, did you? Did the pain body follow you into the restaurant? I never knew the answer. It occurred to me that that might have happened. All it means is that the the energy that was so heavy, the room, the, the, my place where she had come to see me was so heavy with that energy when I, when I left. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it came with me mm -hmm. and it's possible. Uh, I don't know the final answer to that. Yeah. But it's a possibility. Yes, because as we were saying earlier, you speak of the pain body like it's its own alien force, like it's yes. like, a, like a ghost of, of some kind. Yes. But it is. It's not a ghost. It's a. It's a. It's an energy. It's, it's, a, an, it's energy, an energy field. And and it becomes eventually. It becomes transmuted, which means, it loses its, uh, its energy for its uh, pain body form. And the very energy that was trapped there, because the energy was trapped. It was emotional energy that was trapped inside this shell that becomes freed through presence. So that's and what we're going to talk about next week, is how you can begin to free the pain body or any energy that you're carrying from the past. Yes. And you can free it instantly. You free it instantly, but although not the whole of it necessarily instantly, but in the moment, some of it can become transmuted. And I, the example I give is like, it's like putting a, a log into the fire the fire is the fire of consciousness or presence. Mm -hmm. And so the pain body can actually be transmuted and, be, and becomes presence. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, next week. Before we say goodbye, though, let's sum up what we've covered in this class today. What do you want people to know about the pain body? The most vital thing is for people to be there when it happens. Now, when it happens means it's either happening to somebody close to you at home, your partner or family member, or more importantly, when the pain body happens to you. Now, it's easier to realize that the pain body is there when you see it arising in somebody Another else, people, yeah. always easier. Uh, you require more presence to see it in yourself. But that's the vital thing is to be there and realize it, that's the pain body. Well, the way you know it's in yourself is when you start to tell yourself the story the woman who was the big fat cow, mm -hmm. her family had called her a big fat cow her whole life. When you start to replaying the tapes in your head over and over again, my story, my story, my story, identifying with that, anything you identify with is ego. Yes. Right. <clears throat> That's how you know it's the pain body. Yes. Or a sudden emotion arises, mm -hmm. something your partner made a remark, said something, and an enormous an emotion arises that is out of proportion to the external trigger mm -hmm. and that could be the beginning of the arising pain body mm. so then you say oh there's the pain body then you're already you're not you're not at the mercy of the pain so body. let me ask you this on the night that you had <coughs> that uh you know 
the, the breakthrough where you mm. said, I cannot live with myself in, any longer. Did you lose your pain body too? Yes. Well, that just was one happy day, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's quite rare. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you lost your ego. You lost your pain body. What a day that was. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. after years of dreadful suffering, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's the one more thing to say about the pain body oh. is when you see it in somebody else, you have to be very careful. Yeah, uh, the pain bodies don't like to hear that they are the pain body. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking to somebody like your partner, you have to be very careful because uh, once the partner has already been taken over by the pain body, if at that stage you say, there's your pain body, your partner won't be hearing you anymore. The pain body will be hearing you, and the pain body will say something back, and it we'll won't be pleasant. It. it won't be pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't argue with the pain body. No way you can you ever. Can't. You can't. You can never win an argument with the pain body. He'll always win. The pain body will win. It'll go on and on and on, and we'll find another clever argument why the pain is justified and right. And so it's mm. like uh, our first caller from Silver Spring. Uh, was talking about her sister, what we must learn to do is be compassionate, Yes. stand still, Yes. stand still, as I said with the poem, stand still and allow it to be yes. whatever it is. Yes. And then... And then you don't feed it. You don't feed it. Yes. Don't allow yourself to be drawn into the... pulled into the drama of it. Oh. And yeah. if the pain body is not fed, then it, it won't sustain itself for that long. It'll have to seek some other place where it will get fed or it will subside. So that's the beauty when, you, when you're in a relationship. If both partners are conscious enough, you can have an agreement that says, if I observe the pain body beginning in you, or you observe the pain body beginning in me, please let me know. You're going to point it out. You have to point it out at the beginning before it takes over completely, because once it's taken over completely, the person won't be hearing you anymore. But at the beginning, you can still say, could that be your pain body? Even that is dangerous, but you can try. No, it's not my pain body! <laughs> <laughs> well... Thanks to everybody around the world for joining us again. This fifth class will be available on demand tomorrow for free, of course, here at Oprah.com. And uh, if you want to download or watch any of our classes, you can do that also tomorrow. All of them are available at Oprah.com and iTunes. It's free. Thanks to Nature Made Soft Gel Vitamins. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to update your workbook and get ready for next week's class. Again, we thank you. Thank you. We thank you. You're a, a man without a pain body. <laughs> we'll see you in class next time. Thank you. Good night, everybody.